I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have Deborah Wall joining me. She is the former CMO of McDonald's and also the vice chair of the ANA, which is the Association of National Advertisers. Deborah, hi and welcome. Hi, Nadine. Thank you so much for having me with you today. Oh my gosh, it's my immense pleasure. We have had so many great conversations as we were putting together the ANA CMO Talent Challenge Playbook. And we talked a lot about the role of a CMO. And you have been a CMO at a lot of different kinds of companies and also on the board of Groupon and MediaOcean. So I thought we'd just start with more about you, kind of your path, how you got to where you are today and things that you've learned along the way. And I'll pepper in some questions, but tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started and wind up in, as you would say, hamburgers? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I'll, and I'll try to make this short and sweet because it's now getting to be a long path. And I think what's always motivated me mostly and why I'm in marketing is an intense curiosity, certainly about people and cultures and behavior and what makes you want to do things and make different choices. So um, I started out actually in finance ages ago, and that was a result of really being from an entrepreneurial family. My dad always had his own businesses and was sort of a creator and um, he was in the manufacturing business, but he created new companies and businesses. So that's what drove me. But we saw how risky that can be and how many ups and downs. So out of college, I went into finance and then after a few years there, decided that I really wanted to be closer to a product and find some more creativity. And I wanted to get some international experience under my belt. So uh, my first job in marketing was actually in France working for WL Gore, where I was hired, unbelievably enough, to go over to uh, France, live in Paris, and launch uh, a brand new business line for them in France. And it was a product for people with allergies to dust mites made out of a revolutionary material called Gore-Tex. 
So that sort of started me. And I think it was a great way to begin because uh, no one had ever done it before. I was completely forging my own path. And I was discovering a new market, creating a new segment, bringing a new product to consumers that they'd never seen before. And the idea of just having to do that all by yourself when you're still what I considered a real newbie right out of business school was um, an amazing foundation to have. Wow. That is near and dear to my heart, being French and having lived in France. What a great way to start your career, which is where I started mine too. Ah, that's great. Yeah, it was it was fascinating. Um, you know, it really teaches you when you go to another country, you're studying the culture and you're a complete outsider. So, you know, I didn't know what the customs were or how people thought about allergies in France. I really had to study it from the very beginning uh, without any preconceived notions. And I think that's what formed my whole approach to marketing anyways. Wow. So how, how did that then lead to the next move? <laughs> well, it was really wild actually trying to start your own business and do everything. And we had a lot of success, but not quite enough success for me to pay my business loan. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back to the United States. And, you know, I'm from the Motor City, Motor City Gale, born and raised there. Um, and I never thought I'd go back uh, to work in the car business. But interestingly enough, as I was interviewing and trying to come back to the United States from Paris, I, I interviewed with a lot of traditional marketing uh, companies and roles. And then I um, had a contact, of course, at Ford Motor Company. And they said, why don't you fly in for an interview? So I flew in for an interview. And then they proceeded to take me and a few other people who were interviewing straight to the test track, put us in Mustangs, and we drove around the test track as part of our initiation or introduction to the auto business. So when you have that as sort of the motivating factor and thought of, wow, this is what I'm really going to be selling and talking about, um, it was pretty persuasive. And I took a job at Ford Motor Company. Well, that's an awesome interview. I would like to just go drive the car and not even actually interview. That'd be fun. (laughs) I know we could we could have stopped right there. I was basically like, okay, I'm done. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) So, how long were you there then? Uh, I spent about six years at Ford. I worked for them in um, South America, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Learned to speak Portuguese there, and again, sort of had another experience of looking at a market, an industry, customers from a very much an outside point of view, which again was very instructive. And um, it was a great time to be there. We uh, were able to introduce a lot of concepts that were new to the Brazilian market, things like uh, programs targeted for women and uh, doing test drives, which we did the actually the very first test drives that had ever been done in Brazil as a whole marketing program. It was really exciting. So bringing a lot of those learnings and uh, trying them out and then adapting them for the specific culture in Brazil was exciting. And we were able to uh, grow market share by about 4%, which for the automotive industry is really significant. Wow. What do you think was the breakthrough move there that that earns you that 4%? Uh, I think just a different way of engaging with the customer. Um, Even at that point, we were really looking at all the customer data and making sure that the uh, cars were configured and targeted to what we were hearing and seeing from that data. And then just trying new ways of bringing the car to market so that the customers could engage differently. 
So it's funny. I just got on the phone with Seth Barman, the CMO at Spotify, and he was saying something very similar to what you're saying, which is it's all about people. And if you're in marketing, you really got to love people. And that sounds like a pretty common theme in what you saw along your way and why you love the roles that you had. Absolutely. I mean, it really is. And that's that, I think that spark that if you're like me, I chose marketing a long time ago. I said, this is my industry. This is where I want to be, stay, develop in and go as far as I can. And the reason it stays exciting after all these years is because there's no end, I think, to learning about people and behaviors and how you can influence and staying really close to the the pulse of what's happening. Absolutely. And I I think it's unfortunate that we sometimes get too distracted by technology. I had one CMO say to me one day, and I about fell off my chair, uh, that they spend all their time ensuring that the technology is working to get the message out. They don't have any time left to check the copy. I'm like, oh my God, like how, how does that happen? But it happens, right? So how do you prevent yourself from being too focused in one area versus another and how have you thought of your development path along the way as you keep embracing new and new things into the fold? Uh, well, I, I think you just hit on the key question today and the key challenge for anyone in the business and certainly at the CMO level. It's how do you how do you pick the areas where you actually focus your time so that you can learn enough? Because there is now so much coming at us. There's so much more data available. There's so many more channels that um, we have to learn from. And we've been able to, of course, fragment our audiences. Now we can target down to the micro segment. And you got to understand all that so that you can put the strategy into place. So um, what I'm finding is that, you know, back in the day when we learned those time management skills of what you focus on and where you go, it's even more critical today. And then I, I think to, you know, identify those few sources, like in the morning, I start out with my Wall Street Journal, my CMO updates. At, uh, for instance, my friend at the Wall Street Journal, Suzanne, she does a, a great CMO roundup every morning. There's Recode Daily that does it. Uh, there's the CIO update from the Wall Street Journal as well. So just finding a few of those sources that are able to curate the information that you need to get um, and moving on to those, but not spending too much time because you can get lost in all of that. I think what's most important is to really be actually still overlaying all of that information and data with a real conversation every day with real people about how they're experiencing the products or services that you actually have, learning from that, understanding that, and making sure you have those experiences yourself as well. Yeah. And especially if you're driving around in a Mustang, you're getting that full on experience right there, right? (laughs) One of my favorite jobs is when I uh, had to launch the Mazda Miata, which is still the most affordable sports car ever. And, uh, you know, I really spent a lot of time going up and down the California coast, meeting with people who were absolute enthusiasts for that vehicle with the top down, with my stick shift, you know, everything going on. It was, (laughs) it was one of my favorite jobs. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. You know, I I think I read someplace that if you're trying to record a podcast, which I'm uh, feebly trying to do right now, you're not supposed to interrupt or talk over somebody, but I can't help but laugh with you because it's so fun. So I apologize to anybody who's listening who can't 
keep hearing because I'm laughing too hard, but uh, we do have a lot of fun together. We, we do. And that's, uh, that's what makes it real. I mean, that's what our, our jobs are supposed to be the most fun, the most engaging. I always say a CMO has such a unique role in a company because we represent what the customer wants, what the customer is valuing. So there's so much power and continual excitement and change in that. You never get bored. No, no, absolutely not. So then how, what prompted you then to go to your next move and where did you go? So um, after that, uh, let's say it was with Ford in Brazil that I came to California and worked on um, a, a few other brands, Mazda and Lincoln in the Ford portfolio. And then I was hired away by Toyota. So I spent the next six years uh, working with Toyota and then eventually Lexus um, and really gained an incredible appreciation for the way that Toyota runs and does their business. Wow. And then was that what then led you to hamburgers? <laughs> Long circuitous. Yeah. I made a couple other stops. Um, and I do have to talk about this one stop. Um, I think I mentioned to you before that I'm, I'm from the Motor City. And one of the things after I felt like I had really been able to gain a, a lot of learning uh, from my Toyota experience was I really wanted to come back to Detroit uh, and see if I could make a difference there. And uh, that I think in our lives, we always have a point where we can take a risk in our careers and our trajectory and do something that we think is important. And for me, that risk was going to Chrysler to uh, be the CMO. The year was 2008, if you remember a pretty impactful time in the world and the auto industry. So I would say in hindsight, my timing wasn't perfect, but um, I think it's so worthwhile to you know, be able to know in your life that you can take your skill set and pursue something that you think is really important that you want to make a difference in. And um, that's what I did. I'm still a huge fan of Detroit and everything that goes on, the culture, the personality, um, so much admiration for the auto industry and what it's been able to do and build and, and seeing it as it continues to transform. Um, but anyways, that is, that's what actually took me back to Detroit, which eventually led me to Hamburger, surprisingly <laughs> enough. <laughs> and the other, I think the other thing, you know, you could say is a, a career, you never know what direction you're going to go in. Um, and I think that's what makes life really the, the most exciting. So I probably never would have imagined, but I ended up in Detroit in 2008, 2009. Um, of course, the industry, you know, changed the, the whole industry changed. Chrysler went into bankruptcy. And um, I was in Detroit and I had decided to leave the company. There wasn't really a need at that precise time for a CMO. And um, as I was, after that job, I was um, recruited by a home builder and went and spent some time in the home building industry working for one of the largest home builders called Pulte Group. And um, I did that because I really wanted to have uh, and experience on a different scale, go to a much smaller company where I felt like I could um, be much more engaged both with the senior team and on the board and and, and really have a role in, in trying to shape uh, what that company could do. And it was, you know, about a, a $5 billion company from the multi-billion dollars that in the auto industry, a much smaller ad budget, which uh, I found incredibly um 
fulfilling and really critical for the next steps in my career. Because of course, when you have no budget, you're forced to really look at how do you get the message out and what kind of platforms can you use? So that's when I really dove deep into how do we bring digital into an industry that doesn't have it? What kind of tools can we use? What's the most effective way to be in front of our consumers with very little budget uh, and make sure that those messages are getting out. And then how are we understanding consumer value and helping the company grow from that? So I had that experience, which was terrific, another four years there, at um, which point I suddenly um, got a call about an opportunity at McDonald's. And as you know, in the marketing business, when an iconic brand like McDonald's calls, um, you definitely answer the call. And uh, as I continue to have a curiosity and passion and a desire for challenge, uh, for me, that was one of the, the, the best things that I could do. It meant a lot of change, a lot of, you know, going to a whole um, different work level in a different industry with different consumer base, et cetera. But uh, for me, that was well worth it. Yeah. So I think I just came up with the title for your podcast. I think it's going to be From Hot Rods to Hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like that. I like but, it. Um, I like it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so let's talk about the different industries you're in. I mean, there's obviously a lot of differences right off the bat, but was there something fundamentally different about the role of marketing in each of those companies or is it truly, is it by industry or is it specific to the company itself? You know, I think the role that the marketing department has in each company is very much dependent on the culture and how their particular business model has developed. Is it very operationally focused or pure consumer focused or, you know, production focused and engineering? So I think that does change dramatically. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges as you change industries and or companies is really understanding that uh, the the core basis of that company's business model. Because even if you're in the same industry, um, competitors can have different business models, the way that they've learned to make money. But what's fascinating overall is the approach to the consumer, the types of data that you use, the segmentation, et cetera, um, that doesn't change. Uh, those approaches are really relevant because you're dealing with customers, you're dealing with people consumers, buyers. So I, I find that that is very transferable across any industry. So, you know, the challenge as you go in, especially at a senior level, is really understanding and, and as fast as you can getting up the learning curve of what makes this particular company business and culture work. And then how do you bring in the core things that you know about marketing that can drive for growth? Yeah. And is there an example that you could point to and and you don't even have to tell me which company that you went in thinking one thing and then you discovered something about the culture and you're like, mm, maybe I have to do this differently to actually get this to work. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the most important thing is tr figuring out how decisions are really made and where the influencers are. So um, in some companies that have large franchisee bases, there's always uh, a challenge of understanding who makes the decisions and what's it really based on? Is it based on the consumer desire alone? Is it based on an analysis of gross margin and cash flow? You know, sort of what are those core things that move? And um, 
lot of times I'm always looking at things definitely through the lens of the customer. I'm assuming that most people are as focused on that as I am. And then you realize that, no, actually it's the operational challenges. Like I learned a ton at McDonald's about the specific steps in the operation of what you need to do to put hamburgers and fries together at the same time so they're hot for the customer coming through the drive-thru. You know, it's a, there's a lot more aspects to all of that operation that as a marketer, I really needed to learn and dive into so then I could help uh, understand how to translate that so we could create value for the customer but make it work in the business model. And have you always known that you wanted to be a CMO based on the love you have for consumers and uncovering those insights and coming up with great campaigns and strategies to reach and give them great value? Yeah, I think I solidified that about midway through my career because, you know, um, in a lot of companies, especially if if you're in marketing, marketers are often generalists in, in big consumer companies. I mean, they, you know, they move around, you get a lot of different assignments. And uh, at least in the auto industry, there was that choice between do you stay on the marketing path or go to sales and, and get some of this other practical experience that people felt was very important in order to move up the executive ranks. Um, and I remember very clearly at that stage saying, you know what, uh, this is what I really love to do. And I'd rather be an expert in marketing than necessarily um, go through all these other steps. So yeah, I formed very specific and it's part of why I actually moved between companies in order to advance practically. I mean, you have to factor that into your career progression assessment of what you want to do. Uh, but for me, it, it was great. And um, it's definitely had some twists and turns and gone in different places. But I, I, for me, it's been really worth it. And I've been able to do what I really love to do the most. Yeah. And then recently, you just joined as a board member on two different companies. And I know you went through quite a process to select which boards you really wanted to participate in. Can you share a little bit about your thinking through that process and what made you actually pick the ones that you chose? Yeah. And this I'm really excited about. One, I am seeing a greater demand and a recognition of the value that this consumer perspective can bring to companies. And um, that's why I think I was able to get these board positions. I think it's really important at this state in time that we do have that perspective at the board level. You know, most companies are really as simple as it sounds. The challenge these days is to create growth, um, not just market share growth, but true category growth, which comes from innovation and really serving the customer in different ways. Uh, we're also seeing customers change. Their behavior is changing so fast. They're adopting new technologies, new ways of making decisions, getting information, deciding what to buy. Um, and they're moving really much faster then frankly, we as industries are moving these days. So uh, I think it's really valuable to have that. Uh, and for me, it was important to find companies that saw that as an opportunity um, and were really looking to configure what they have expressed as the modern board. I remember it was like, I think three years ago or so, Spencer Stewart put out a report about the boardroom and the composition in the boardroom. And I think the stat at the time, I hope I get this right, was of the 9,000 Fortune 1,000 board seats, only 40 
were sitting CMOs just three years ago. Mm. And I think that number is growing rapidly for all the reasons that you, you mentioned. I think it's exciting. What's really exciting is the conversation I'm hearing through all of this about people really saying, hey, you know, the board makeup has to change. We want board members to be much more engaged. We want the discussion to be more free, far ranging. Uh, we want the consumer point of view more than just a financial point of view, which has historically been where most of the board members come from. So I, I think it's a really good sign and I'm proud to be part of that, what I hope is the next wave. And I'm sure you will deliver some amazing value, as you always do. You, as a vice chair of the ANA, you're helping to steer this industry in a lot of different ways, including setting the major initiatives for the industry. What uh, is, well, maybe this is the wrong way to ask is what, what is your favorite initiative or what, what are you really excited about as something that you are driving well, I, I think one of the most important things that the ANA has worked on is the whole digital media supply chain. Um, we all know that's probably the fastest moving. Um, it's been changing dramatically. So if you look at the Luma landscape, there are so many different players involved um, that uh, it's hard for anyone to keep up and know all the different moving pieces and parts. So part of the efforts that we've done through the ANA work is to help people think about that, simplify it, think about how we put in um, good measurements uh, and tracking so that we all are able to look at the investments and returns on those investments and what they really do for the industry. The goal overall, of course, if you're the marketer, is to make sure that every dollar you spend is really um, valuably spent um, driving messaging and content and decisions toward the customer so that they have what they need. Great. And we had a lot of fun putting together the talent challenge playbook for the ANA. And I think as part of that, I have never had so much discussion, whether it was with you or any of the other CMOs who contributed about the definition of marketing and the role <laughs> of a marketer. And that's exactly why we started out with the first thing is aligning your leadership teams. And you and I talked about that, uh, I think at least for 30 to 40 minutes one day in, in, as you were driving home. And you had a very strong opinion about what you thought the role of a marketer was, especially of a CMO and what it's not. Can you remind me again how you define that? Well, I think what... What I've really be, become an advocate for is that the CMO role is all about growth and it has to be focused on growth. So many times we get um, distracted by either being on the cutting edge of the shiny new toy or something else. But as you go into the CMO role, you have to be driving growth for the company. Uh, and whether that's margin growth, sales growth, or the number of consumers who are, you know, who are coming into your stores or on your websites, et cetera, that's, that's the game. And it's really interesting because when I was growing up in the marketing world, it was about so many different things, about creativity and the big idea and, and a lot of other things. But it really boils down to this fundamental of growth. And I think that's where the industry we need to reset. If you look at just in the last year of the Fortune you know, 100, uh, I think 56% did not experience any growth um, despite all the dollars that we're investing. 
for growth. So that's our, our core challenge as we go ahead. And we also know that growth is created by category growth more than anything else. I mean, you have to have your market share battles. You have to do all that. But true growth for a company, the outstanding side where you can really make a difference is when you have category growth and that requires innovation. Uh, and that goes back to my core tenet. You, you basically get innovation when you understand at a very clear level what uh, consumers value and, or what they will need to value. Uh, and, and making sure that we spend enough time and energy on that. And I know in my roles that I've gotten, sometimes you get so busy with the day-to-day work that, you, you know, if you go back and look at, gee, how many minutes of today did I actually spend on innovation or figuring out what we could do for the next phase that would be major and groundbreaking and, and how can we do that? So often you're, you spend so much time thinking about how do I keep the current business going forward? Because while you create innovation, you can't lose anything that you have currently. So you have to really manage your time carefully and think about that. But now I think de- definitively, like, have I spent whatever it may be uh, a third of my day on innovation? Am I spending just as much time on the idea of what could create category growth as I am on market share or, you know, meeting the core sales goals for this month? I, it's, a, it's really achieving that balance and thinking purposefully about it. Speaking of growth and innovation, you know, I've spent a lot of time chatting with a number of folks about how to actually get innovation beyond just the thinking, beyond just the technology. And it really comes down to your teams and how they operate together so that they can bring their best selves to work and and have an opportunity to share their best thinking. That's a tough skill to learn as a leader, how to foster that environment. Was there something that you did along the way to augment those skills or is it just something really you learn on the job? Oh, is uh, another great question, Nadine, because these are like the core of what we all have to be thinking about to change the industry that we're in. So one, um, I think this pace of change is is a real challenge for everyone. And if you look at core skill sets of people, uh, most people, every every I think at all levels, everyone's grappling to stay up. So uh, the one thing that I would certainly do, which I I regret in my last two positions, I don't think I did enough. A lot of it due to the fact of how much crisis we were under and how much pressure. But I think you absolutely have to institute regular training that is bolstering everyone's skill sets up so they can work in the digital age, understand AI, understand all the technology implications for the business, et cetera. Um, And we really need to foster that because most people come into marketing with, or they have traditionally with strong creative skills, right? Um, that's, that's what drove a lot of us because we want to be creative. We are more creative. That's why we didn't end up in finance versus marketing. Um, and I think everyone's skill sets, um, need to keep, uh, pushing forward on both of those sides and that we as the leaders have, uh, an obligation to make sure that we provide that and, and help people along so that we can all perform better. And then the second is, um, and I spent a lot of time on this 
in my last role, but looking at how can we change the whole process of things to take time out of the non-value-added work and give people back more time so that they could focus on the innovation um, and they could focus overall on doing the bigger strategic thinking that could make the biggest difference. Whereas, you know, most of the time you're, you're moving so fast during the day with all the different channels and complexity and fragmentation, et cetera, that we deal with that you're not um, really able to carve enough time out. So I think it's incumbent upon leadership to help change those processes so that people do have that time to carve out to think more strategically. Amen. If only everybody would do that, we'd be a much more innovative world. I am sure of it. So, okay. So Deborah, we're going to be wrapping up now and I have one last big question for you. (laughs) Okay. Fire fire away. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. If you could be anything in the world right now, other than CMO, what would you be? (laughs) Wow. That is um, what I would... What I really think is important, sort of my passion project, is how do you help our cities grow to, to, well, how do you help our cities have growth and achieve growth? So, you know, I said I'm from the Motor City. I'm a huge fan of Detroit and everything that's going on there. If I could do anything in the world, I would be in charge of innovation and transformation, you know, for Detroit to help growth come to that wonderful city. That is wonderful. Wow. Well, I hope some folks in Detroit are listening. I'm sure they they could use a hand for sure uh, if you're offering. Uh, So (laughs) maybe maybe all of a sudden your next career move will be something very different. (laughs) Yeah. And it will all be to Nadine's CMO podcast. Oh, yay. Well, hey, then maybe I've had a little part in doing good in the world. So I'll I'll take that and run with it. So. Deborah, you are amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you and all the time. All right. Thanks, Nadine. Take care. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 